Welcome to What's Your Therapy, the podcast that looks to explore and dispel the myths around therapy and what that means to the individual. My name is Natalie McIver and I'm a psychotherapist working in private practice with a background in grief and loss. I have a particular interest in neurodiversity, trauma, menopause and addiction. Each week, you'll hear me talk to therapists, practitioners, facilitators, coaches, guides and mentors about their modalities, how they work, how they can help and what to expect, plus a little bit of their own story. I'm so excited to share today's episode with you, so let's get on with the show. Welcome back to this week's episode of What's Your Therapy with me, Natalie McIver. Today's guest is a woman who I have admired for years, both professionally and personally. She approaches life with a calmness that I rarely see in others. She's worked within mental health for over 20 years and has spent that time invested in working with children and young people, starting as a trainee counsellor through to a counsellor, progressing in 2008 to managing the NHS Surrey Youth Counselling Service. It's never been just a job. It's always been more than that, a calling and a desire to make a difference to these young people's lives. She has always understood the intrinsic power of being heard. She recently undertook the role of manager for the CAMS Intensive Intervention Team and Youth Counselling Service, where she maintains a weekly client caseload and somehow manages volunteering as a scout leader at the local group where her twin boys attend. I mean, my goodness me. Please, everybody, welcome to the episode, my dear, dear friend, Kerry Pilby. Hi, Kerry. Hi. Hello. Oh, I'm darling, I'm so grateful for you coming on. Thank you very much for your time. I know it's precious and I really appreciate it. Oh, what a great intro. <laughs> Thank you. Well, what a great you I mean your biog is extraordinary and I guess where to start well I would like you if you can uh to tell us a little bit about the service uh that you manage at the moment and yeah what it is and 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 the service that you provide yeah lovely okay well I'll start with um youth counselling service so Mm -hmm. yeah I uh have my placement there when I was uh, initially training. So the Youth Counselling Service, they work with 12 to 24-year-olds across West Surrey, North East Hampshire. Um, and I guess it's we'd work with those young people that are mild to moderate in their needs. So, I mean, <laughs> that covers a very broad range of different issues that we might see through the door. I guess anxiety and depression would be a couple of the major things that, you know, um, that's our, our daily bread and butter, if you like, these 12 to 14 year olds struggling in their lives um, and coming to us for some support. So it's a short term counselling model. So they have between six uh, to 12 sessions. Um, and I guess following COVID, it's a, it's a blended approach. So we give each young person the choice of if they want face to face counselling or telephone or video. Um, they get to pick. They come along for their first session and meet with their counsellor. And I guess that's a bit of kind of getting to know you stage, filling in some of the paperwork and I guess looking at some initial goals that that young person might want to achieve throughout their time. We are a goal-based measures service. So 
Um, young person comes in, sets their goals. There will be regular review points along the way just to make sure that we are working in line with what the young person is, is wanting to achieve. Obviously, six to 12 sessions, you know, that's quite limited. Um, so we want to make the best use of their time um, coming in to, you know, aid them to achieve some of what they are aiming for. I guess they have their first session. They see if they gel with their counsellor. Um, not every counsellor is going to suit every young person. So it's just a meet and greet. Hey, let's see what we're able to do in this session. Let's get to know each other a bit. At the end of that session, it's over to the young person to decide, yes, definitely, I'm coming back next week or I'm going to go away and think about it for a couple of days because, you know, I guess um, it can be quite a commitment in terms of their time and their investment in themselves. And for some young people, it might be like, thanks very much. I don't want to take this any further at the moment, at which point they're told, well, they can re-refer back in at a later date. As long as they're on the waiting list by their 25th birthday, uh, we'd still honour that. So they can come back at a time when they're ready. So it's very much a person-centred um, counselling service. It's that young person at the core of everything that we do. Um, Harry, can I, I ask, how, how do your... Um young service users how do they access this service yeah absolutely so range of different ways um we were started up 30 years ago um and i guess that was by sorry primary care trust at the time and they wanted a self-referral service for our young people so one that you know young person didn't need to go through the gp and wait for a referral form and, and go through all that process they just wanted young person parent carer to pick up the phone to direct to the service just say i'd like some support so um, they call into the office. There's limited um, administration support for the team. So um, what they do, person would call in and leave a, a message for us. And we aim to respond to the calls within four working days. Um, if picking up the telephone is difficult for a young person, we've got a texting service or they could email as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just let, let us know their details and we can progress the referral that way. Generally find it's a lot of parents contacting us to make that referral Um, For a number of young people, it might be quite difficult talking on the phone Mm. or taking that first step, having that bit of courage to, you know, make that first contact. So often it's parents and carers that we hear from, first of all. So they leave a message. Um, Louise, our fantastic administrator, gets in contact with people, as I say, within four working days just to get some idea of what the main concerns are. Uh, They do a risk assessment as well. You know, lots of young people nowadays, there's self-harm, there's suicidal ideation. So we go through a risk assessment to look at how that young person's keeping themselves safe, how family are helping supporting that. And, you know, that lets us assess, are we going to be the most appropriate service for that young person or do we need to signpost somewhere else? Now, obviously, self-referral being our main route, and that's where the majority of the referrals come from. However, we're well known throughout kind of the areas we cover so if someone goes to the GP the GP might make a recommendation to the service mm-hmm. again they'd be encouraging that young person or parent to contact us directly themselves um, ideally the young person because it puts kind of ownership on them this is about you know them taking the steps forward themselves to get themselves some support um, so GPs can refer I mean any any professional really uh, friends we sometimes get friends of other young people calling up and saying, oh, you know, heard about this service. Really, my friend needs a bit of support. So really appreciate, you know, if, if they'd be able to come and have some time with you. So it's anyone and everyone. Uh, and we're really proud of that in our service, actually, yeah. that you don't have to jump through a load of hoops. You can just call or text or drop an email. It's really accessible. 
we'll be putting in the show notes at the end of this episode those details so that anybody that needs to reach out to your service can do for those people that don't already oh, have them brilliant thank you um i just want to go back to you know your reference to 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 suicide and self-harm you know that might be quite alarming for some of our listeners when we look mm. at the age range that you're working with and I wonder has there been an increase in 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 that for you since the pandemic have you seen that yeah absolutely I mean I think it was going on before the pandemic I mean if I go back so kind of 20 years mm. uh, when I first 19 20 years something around that when I first started There'd be a few people presenting with self-harm, you know, a few people I'd be working with, certainly that had, you know, some suicidal thoughts. Um, I'd say, you know, kind of the 17, 18, 19 year olds, that was kind of a little bit more more common for. Um, But I'd recognise, you know, perhaps 10 years on from my starting point, actually, there was a number of more people coming through with self-harm certainly and more stories around yeah um, suicidal ideation um and I guess yeah following the pandemic I mean yeah there's so many more people coming through I mean I haven't got the the numbers in supply in this evening certainly Mm. but absolutely as a as a therapist out there working in the field actually it's rare now that I get someone who isn't self-harming or hasn't got some suicidal ideation um, right? And it might be because <laughs> of my level of experience within the team, mm. you know, because we take right from trainee placement counsellors to volunteers just qualified to, you know, um, full of qualified volunteers who've been with us a number of years. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a core member of the staff team. So it might be maybe I see some more of those um, kind of more moderate young people. But um, it generally seems very common to me now in my work, certainly. And how do you work with that, Kerry? somebody who's Mm. self-harming yeah I think that's a really interesting question and I think it very much depends on the person that comes through the door actually Um, and I mean that in terms of some people don't want to do anything about it some people um, will come in if if some people come in and they would have their scars on show they would tell me, you know, how often they've been doing it. They might be mm-hmm. kind of very recent and open wounds that they come in with. Mm-hmm. And I think the first thing is to, to listen, actually, to have a non-judgmental attitude, actually. This is a person that's, you know, visibly struggling. I can see it. I can see their story. Um, yeah. So, and it's, some of them come in and absolutely want to talk about it. They want to tell their story. They want to explore the things that are going on from them. Some people want to stop um, and want to find different ways of doing it. Other people don't want to stop at the moment. And I think as a you know therapist, it's being able to sit with that. Okay, mm. it's not the right time for now. There are other things they need to prioritise working on. So, again, it's that very person-centred. I'll go with, you know, what the client's focus is and where they want to go. Uh, some people can be very secretive about it and will hide it. And I just might catch the, the glimpse of something like on their hand. Mm. Um, you know, other people I wouldn't know at all unless they chose to share it. So it's really, really broad, actually, now in terms of, you know, each different young person that comes through the door, they've got a different experience of it. They might be doing it for very different reasons. 
Some feel maybe guilty or ashamed of it. Others are seemingly, yeah, you know, this is my life, you know, quite um, shoving it off on us almost. Look at what I've survived. You know, I'm here and I'm, I'm, I'm doing my best. And, you know, often for some young people, it can be a coping technique, a way of managing really difficult emotions. Mm. For some people, it's, you know, they haven't been able to find their voice to tell a person their story. So they're showing it on their body to other people. Um, I mean, you know, there'll be lots of other reasons beside, but they're the couple that come to mind at the moment. Uh, but it is it is a challenge, you know, yeah. kind of sitting with that and kind of thinking, oh, yeah, how worried to be in that, you know, what kind of support. And, I, you know, I'm thinking, well, you know, why has their story led to this? What is it that's, you know, been going on around this young person? What have they been struggling with to lead to that point? That's crucial, isn't it, Kerry? It's 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 seeing what's underneath, you know, the tip of the iceberg, if you like. Oh, yeah. You know, because it is, it's not the story, is it? No, not the story. No, absolutely. And I think that's kind of yeah, one of the things that has really I don't know kept me working in the field. You know, it's that curiosity that come in and, and tell me your story, come in yeah. and tell me what's been going on for you. And there are some that absolutely the words are right there and they absolutely fly with it. You know, they've really been waiting, you know, a little while to come in and start talking. And there are other people that find the talking really difficult. Uh, you know, some some young people have come through the door and it's, you know, it might have been the first experience of coming into a room with a professional on their own, you know, Generally, you know, parent or carer might have been with them before. So, you know. And that's quite a dynamic right there, isn't it? Already, (laughs) you know, because you are, you know, in their mind, uh, in the same bracket as a teacher or a parent, you know, there's that power dynamic, isn't there? Absolutely. And I always kind of hold in mind as well, some of my work, I was based in a GP practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously when you go to the doctor you go with an issue and you're going to be fixed aren't you you're going to get your medication or yeah. you know he's, the doctor's going to tell you what's wrong with you and then you know he's going to say well you need to go here and do this and, and that kind of thing and I've always held in mind you know in the first session when I'm talking with a young person I'm saying you know I'm not here to fix and I don't have your answers and I'm like, and it might be really weird me saying that to you at the start, but actually, you know, you're unique. There's not another one version of you out there like like that. So, you know, I'm here to listen and, you know, we're here to work together and to come up with some ideas around what might help, what might make a difference. And what do you think that approach gives the young person, Kerry? Oh, I guess it's empowerment. It's, you know, as a BACP, British Association of Counselors and Psychotherapists, you know, it's talking about autonomy, mm-hmm. actually, you know, young person having a choice, having rights, you know, uh, being able to talk about the things they want to. Um, and, and often I find with, you know, a lot of my young people, they know what the issue is. They know the things that are going on. They do. And, and absolutely. And, and need some time talking about those things. Yeah. And how, you know, given the length of time that you have worked within this service, I know you personally, I know how challenging it's been, but I, mm. it's not easy, is it? 
and no. you have to deal with some very difficult um, cases. How have you, how do you keep yourself safe? How do you keep your cup full mm. working within this field? Mm. I think at some points in my career that might have been more difficult than at other times. Yes. Um, and I, and, and yeah. why, why, why was that? Yeah, I think, I don't know. I, I guess I'm a mum that works. I'm a mum. I've got two of my own children yeah, at home, 11-year-old right. twin boys, as you said, with their own challenges. Mm-hmm. I also had a number of health things for myself growing up. There were also a number of challenges from my own childhood. So actually giving care to myself, looking after myself was really difficult. Uh, it was some right. hard lessons, I guess, that I learned along the way around I've got to fill my own cup in order that I can give to others. Was um, was it then in any way reparative for you working with these young people? Oh, absolutely. Was it? Absolutely not. Yeah. Mm. Just, yeah. And I didn't realise it at first because when I was training as a counsellor, like, I'm never working with kids. They frighten me. You did know. you really? I did. Really? Yeah. I, I never like, knew that. <laughs> I was like, that's so uh, interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. I just because it was frightening all the safeguarding and, you know, mm. uh, you know, the complexity of the issues and that, you know, um, yeah, I thought that's going to be a real challenge. And it's ironic that that's what my career has been working with children and young people. Well, again, um, knowing you personally, Kerry, I know that you never shy away from a challenge. No. <laughs> In fact, you're a bit like a moth to a flame. Yes, but I guess that in regard to self-care, you know, absolutely, that has been a challenge for me. I mean, right from the start, you know, early in training, you have to have a number of um, kind of therapy hours yourself. You have to, you know, really explore yourself. And I think that although even when my course finished, I've been in and out of therapy throughout the time. That's part of filling my cup for me. It's part of that ongoing journey of exploration uh, on top of that as well have a clinical supervisor so for any counsellor that's practicing they Mm -hmm. have to have a clinical supervisor in place in order that I guess that's someone that I mean I go to my supervisor for many different things but for you know she keeps a close check on my self-care and make sure that I'm balancing you know because there is a lot of giving out to others um, in my world and it's just to make sure absolutely that I take a bit of time um, that I'm slowing down, uh, taking care. And, you know, I guess a lot of that is about boundaries and making sure I'm time boundaried. I'm not talking about in the sessions, but, you know, shutting down at the end of the day and then making sure that I've got time to unwind before I'm going and being with my own family. Yeah. Uh, and actually COVID and, and the lockdown, that was really interesting I guess before I would have been out off to my counselling base, doing my work, driving home. I'd be unwinding from the sessions and then I'd be ready to come in and be with my own family. Following COVID and I was in my room working and then I'd come out my door and then I'd be in family life again. So, um, you know, that that self-care, that taking that bit of time just to unwind before I came out and engaged with family things. Um, actually, yeah, that was really important. You did. So you really held held yourself to account with that did you I did I think that was really important um yeah just to take that space because and I guess that's you know as when I'm with a young person 
um, I guess I was talking about, you know, the virtual or telephone, you know, you connect with people on an emotional level. Yeah. Kind of some of their stories might be particularly challenging, um, you know, whether that's the, you know, self-harm, suicidal thought, or whether they're really angry in that moment and they're struggling with stuff that's happened at home. Um, I guess, you know, I'm using myself and, and being present with them, but also, you know, the emotions fill up my body as well. So kind of following on from the session, it's really important just to, you know, reflect on that a little bit, do my notes, you know, have like a kind of winding down, shutting down process mm. um, from the time that I've just spent with that other person. Because, mm. um, you know, I, and it's learning from experience, actually, <laughs> of, you know, c- coming out the room. And if I'm still filled with, you know, kind of, I don't know, anger or, you know, powerlessness, is another feeling that can often come up. And if I come out that and then I'm experiencing that in my family, that can escalate quite quickly. So I guess it's really important holding myself to account, doing the things that help me. Um, and, yeah, that that filling the cup again, that's another. Um, I mean, I've always looked at exercise for myself as something that I do kind of regularly to, um, I don't know, take take time and space for me. There's been kind of yoga, there's breath work that I do, there's, you know, the wild swimming um, as well. You know, all those different things that I do to help reset myself, to make space for me so that I'm there and available for others when they're ready to talk. Um, Yeah. yeah. Can I just go back to anger Mm -hmm. and working with anger in the room? And how easy or difficult that is for you or has been? I mean, where where are you with that? Mm. Yeah, that's an interesting question. And I wonder if it depends on where the client is and who the client is um, kind of within that. The, what do you the mean? Type, well, the type of anger they're experiencing, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I think this was one, yeah, a face-to-face session that I was in previously and, and the young person had been dropped off in the waiting room. He didn't know what he was coming in for. Um, I knew there was some backstory. There was a social worker that was there in the waiting room and dad and it, it had been particularly um, challenging for this family. So I, I went to go and pick up the young person and immediately could sense this sense of anger. This, the look on his face, the way he was holding his body. Um, and I just thought, oh, God, this is going to be an interesting one. So immediately I could feel, you know, my anxiety was then triggered. Of, oh, I wonder what's going to happen here. I wonder, you know, this, again, coming with curiosity, what is this that I'm picking up on? Um, and then going down off to the room. And he wasn't able to stay in the room. I think he wasn't prepared for the session. He wasn't able to be in a room. Uh, with me did he not know what he was coming for then no no and I know that might be surprising to some but that means I've had a I've had a bit of a response to that I'm very aware (laughs) yeah well I've got young people that come in and if I've gone and picked them up from the waiting room I say oh hi I'm Kerry you know and I get the person and off we go I sit down in the room and say oh you know hello I'm Kerry from the youth counseling service and they're like sorry who what oh this is the youth counseling service you know you've come you've come for a counseling session uh no my mum said I was coming to the dentist or you know it's completely like parent just didn't I don't know what the reasoning was behind that but just really eye-opening 
Yeah. I mean, for the majority, absolutely, young person's prepared and they know. Um, but I, but yeah. I guess we have to we have to, you know, really bear in mind that the the struggle that a lot of these families are having and oh, you know yes. the 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 parents often are just doing their best to try and get oh yeah. the help that they feel their child needs absolutely parents are on their knees you know yeah. parents are really struggling you know and that's pre covid as well i mean mm. absolutely so i think in those instances it was because they very much wanted their their child to come in the room so actually they were going to do whatever they needed to do to enable that to happen. Um, you know, for then it's kind of for myself, it's really working quickly off the hoof. I don't know if that's the right saying, but I've well, got to look at. You really are in the here and now, aren't you? And Yeah. It's organic. But it's at, it is in that moment. It's OK. So. All right. And I'll say, well, let me tell you a bit about youth counselling service. OK, so this is just what it is. You know, let's just have a bit of a talk today. So, you know, tell me a little bit about you. And I will say as well, you don't have to stay here, actually. You know, you, you don't have to stay in this room. You know, you can walk out at any moment. You know, just if you just hear out what I've got to say and, and what I'm able to offer, um, you know, and then after that, if you feel actually, no, I really don't want to do this, you can walk away. That's OK. And at any point in the future, you're ready. You know where I am and you can get in contact with the service and I'd give them a leaflet if that was the case. So that's that's OK. I guess that's one element of anger that I've experienced um, for others. I don't know. And sitting with it, it's OK. Actually, again, it's that non-judgmental acceptance of this is what this person is experiencing at the moment. Yeah. This is something they want to come and talk about. Um, talk about. Some of them want to talk about it. Others might want to draw it. Others might want to get the Play-Doh out and, you know, show me in their Play-Doh. Or others might want to, you know, there's lots of creative tools and different things that we're able to use in the room. Some people, as in the young people, may struggle with their anger there might be family rules that we don't get angry in this family, you know, or, or you're not allowed to be angry, maybe. So sometimes it's, I guess it's just enabling that young person to start talking. It's kind of normalising that anger is something that we all experience, mm. um, that it's, you know, can be, you know, a really positive emotion to work through. Um, other times it can be a really challenging emotion. It can be quite frightening for some of the young people that might be experiencing it. Um, because of the, it's because of the type of anger they've experienced do you think absolutely yeah for it might be for their own bodily experience of it it might be the experience yeah. of those around them that actually you know sometimes when your parent is angry it can be really scary you know if you've got you know kind of someone that's shouting obviously there's a whole story behind that of course there is you know but I guess that can be really frightening for a young person um, yeah so it's just so I guess part of it is just for my role it's listening it's starting to gently explore it's mm -hmm. kind of knowing where we're able to go with that as I say it might be working a bit creatively about it it might be talking about it we might look at bodily sensations and all the time I guess for myself it's coming you know the behavior is showing me something you know the way they're feeling is showing me something and it's yeah just that gentle inquiry Mm. Um, I mean, in regard to, I was just trying to think of 
if there's been any young person that's come into the room and I felt really intimidated or really frightened, um, and I, 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 can't, I can't recall it. I think there's some people before where with the, when you get like the, um, used to get like a, like a presenting issues, kind of the reasons they're coming to counselling. So it might be, you know, experiences anger, you know, at times there might have been a message has, you know, punched a teacher or, you know, they might have, have, I don't know, been excluded from school, thrown furniture around or, Mm. you know, it might be quite, um, quite a few messages like that coming through. And I guess I I know what's on the referral form, obviously. Um, And then I would talk with that young person around kind of, you know, what was happening in there. Is there anything that I need to be aware as a therapist, how we might handle the anger if that comes out in the room with me? Am I safe in that? And, you know, just have that open conversation with the young person around what's their experiences and, you know, how would they like to manage the anger if it comes up in the room? You know, what what, what am I able to do in that space? What would they like from me? And that feels really important for some of those young people. Yeah. It might have been the first time that they've ever been spoken to in a way that lets them step into their power. Mm, absolutely. Or even discover that they have any power because they might have felt powerless completely. Yeah. And I guess that's another thing in the contracting. You know, I would be noting the, the difference. You know, I'm an adult. I can't get away from that. I can't pretend I'm not an adult. Yeah. You know, um, and the historically in life there would have been that different power dynamic you know whether it's a teacher or a parent or you know when I say you know hey you know here I am I'm here let's let's see what we're able to do together we're going to be a team and I say you know I'm not the expert here I'm not the person with the answers you know you're the expert on you mm-hmm. you know you know what's working and, and what's not working in life so you know let's just spend a little bit of time exploring that so, Kerry, you mentioned the contracting just then. How important is that when you're working with young people? No, oh, absolutely. And some of them might find it really odd as well as a, um, they might not have ever done that kind of thing before. Mm. Um, but I guess it's my working alliance. It's, I guess it's, it's for them understanding a little bit about yeah, what they're coming in for. It's giving them choices. It's empowering them. It's. And yeah, choices, that's an interesting one because it's I might offer different types of um, intervention depending on the young person. So I might talk a little bit around what counselling is or cognitive behavioural therapy around, you know, these are the different things that I'm able to offer. These are the kinds of things that those different um, elements would work for. Uh, what do you think about that? Um, some people, when they come in, part of the contracting might be, the, as I said at the start, you know, the goals that they want to work towards. Mm. So some people might be very specific or I want to feel more confident at the end of my sessions or I want to feel less angry or less anxious about things or I don't know. It can be absolutely anything, you know, for some people, they're like, oh, I don't know. Oh, I don't really have a goal. I'm just going to come along and talk and see what happens. And I, well, that's your goal, isn't it? You're going to come and have some counselling sessions and see where it takes you. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I guess I really like that about youth counselling services, the flexibility, you know, in that. And in terms of confidentiality, when you're working with a young person, how does that differ to when you're working with an adult? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think that would be around the kind of safeguarding issues. So, 
when a young person comes in and say, you know, sessions are completely confidential. I don't disclose things to your parents, to other young people I see, to the surgery staff. You know, I don't go home and talk to my own family about what you're talking about in this room. You know, it's a safe space. However, working, you know, with children and young people, I've got to follow Surrey safeguarding children procedures um, that would have had training on myself. Um, and that is if a young person discloses that they're at significant risk of harm, either from themselves or by someone else, or they may worry that they might harm someone else themselves. Mm-hmm. Those are the kinds of things I say that I would be breaking confidentiality for. Um, and I think it's just it's just being very clear in that it's not making promises. It's not making false promises. Oh, you can tell me anything and that's OK. It's actually if you tell me things where either yourself or if I felt another young person under the age of 18, again, was at significant risk of, from themselves, from someone else, I would need to act on that information. And then I say, so it's your choice if you decide to tell me something like that. So if that happens. Let's say you have a young person who discloses that they are experiencing um, sexual abuse at home. Yeah. What happens? Absolutely. Well, I think. And they say to you, I don't, please don't tell anyone. Yeah. Unfortunately, that wouldn't be possible. And I've, because I've contracted and my contracting, absolutely, they're very clear. It's all written down in a leaflet as well. If they tell me that, then I would be having to take the appropriate actions. Okay. Um, so that's the power of the contract that you've always got that to go back to. Absolutely. And, and if I've, and when I've contracted and they've had the leaflet and asked me any questions they've got, if they then opt to tell me something, it's because they want me to know. And even though they'll be saying, I don't want you to do anything about it, the fact that we've contracted and they know that I will do something about it, yeah. I think they want me then to take some responsibility in that, that actually, yeah, you want to, this, you want me to take this forward. That's why you're telling me. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's the youth counselling service, which, as we know, you spent a <laughs> lot of your career in. Tell us a little bit about the role that you're in now. Oh, OK. <laughs> so, yeah. Brace yourself. Yeah. yeah. Well, so... Um, we joined um, Surrey and Borders in 2017, mm. um, and I had a, well, I have I have a wonderful line manager who, um, yeah, last year um, kind of had said, oh, there's a post coming up. I think you should maybe look at it. So it's the general manager of the CAMS Intensive Intervention Team, for Southwest Surrey. Okay, um, um, what is that team? What does that team do, Kerry? Yeah, so it's at the moment the Child and Adolescent Mental Health Service. So I guess historically um, it would be for youth counselling service, we were mild to moderate. I guess for CAMS community team at least, um, or the intensive intervention team, it would be those kind of more moderate to severe young people that were really struggling um, in their world. It would be quite different in terms of youth counselling services one-to-one only. We don't usually have a parent in the room, whereas for CAMS and how that works, it would be often it's a parents, carer, young person in the room, um, kind of having their initial assessment appointment. And then the clinician they're working with would then be looking at a multidisciplinary what, approach. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. For each assessment, it then goes to a, a multidisciplinary team meeting and they would look at what is needed for this person. Is it the 
initial assessment short-term treatment team it's a long old name isn't it uh, is it kind of you know a number of sessions with them maybe around emotional regulation or you know different kinds of support that be offered there is it maybe family therapies indicated or is psychiatry needed or psychology or um, psychotherapy you know we've got a range of different options within the team uh, yeah so um, that's it's as I say quite a, quite a different service but coming in as the general manager Mm. Uh, I get to work with fantastic people. Uh, you know, it was uh, quite the eye opener, as I say, coming from youth counselling service into a range of different therapists, a really hardworking and dedicated team um, of, of, you know, um, people just working at that level, you know, where the, the risk is significantly higher often for the cases of, that we're seeing of what? the risk of what the, the were well, the young people coming in and I guess it's the the risk of harm to themselves um or I guess it's that youth counseling service would work with I guess quite mild to moderate depression I guess you know for many of the people that we would see in camps it's those young people really struggling to engage in two different environments so they would be struggling at home and they would be struggling at school they might be struggling to get out of bed to leave the house Mm. um yeah just so many different challenges um kind of going on there for them so it's a really collaborative approach is it Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, you know, we're going through a massive transformation of our services at the moment and we're working now with the iThrive model. So it's looking at services becoming, um, I guess, young person led, um, much more of the young person's voice being heard um, in the assessment process and then through into the therapy. Um, It's person centred. Uh, It's it's a person centred approach as opposed to the more CBT NHS model. Uh, I mean, there's CBT. Yeah, absolutely. The CBT is a model that we're offering within that. But I guess it's that young person um, looking at the different options that are available and then making choices. Um, so autonomy, um, autonomy, absolutely. Um, in looking at the, the different things. I mean, there's lots of groups that are offered out there and some young people are very happy in groups. Other young people are like, no, I, that's that's too much for me. Mm-hmm. Um they prefer the one-to-one so it's having a range of different options um, and for Surrey and Borders you know we've got um, we're part of an alliance um, so we've got kind of lots of different partner agencies that we're working alongside um, lots of other counselling um, agencies that we're working with we've got Step by Step, Relate, um, Leatherhead Youth Project I mean there's a massive list on I'll, I can leave the, um, the website um, for my site Surrey helpful. CAMS Absolutely. People can go and have a look on there. Uh, we've got the Matrix Trust, you know, so there's lots of range of different things. And also we have Bernardo's, there's National Autistic Society, because, um, you know, a number of young people come into the CAM system because they're looking for a diagnosis, maybe of ADHD or ASD as examples. So, yeah, they would come along and we've got now a new a new neurodevelopmental team that's just been set up have you um yeah which is very exciting so uh, yeah. it's going to be kind of uh, yeah diagnosis and treatment route as well within that so uh, there's lots going on at the moment i mean that's fantastic to hear especially you know both professionally and you know personally for me being uh, the mother of a child on the autistic spectrum um and i'm just very aware of how many young people there are out there that are you know 
waiting for a diagnosis and for oh, yeah. and for and for treatment. So to know that that's being that that has you know it's been worked on and looked at and and hopefully improved is reassuring. Absolutely, it's really important. I mean, for myself, I mean, my one of my sons has autism, and now he was diagnosed. I think he was at um, it was at junior school. I think when we started off the process, and it was about a two year process actually. Was it from start of the referral in, and then um, all the different different stages, and you know, different assessments with various teams because it's a you know it's a multidisciplinary team approach again. You know, yeah. they want to make sure that they're giving you know. Uh, the right diagnosis at the end you know for that young person so there's there's a number of different stages but it's really helpful having been a parent going through that to really understand I can really empathize when parents are frustrated with the waiting times absolutely yeah I've um, got that lived experience absolutely and I'm, I'm going down the ADHD pathway now with my other son right um, okay so you know we're underway with that so I shall also have a, a parent experience of, you that's know. so valuable though for to be able to have that to offer you know to to your families even if it's you know not explicit it's just implicit just that that knowledge that felt sense of what it feels like sometimes because I know yeah. from my perspective sometimes it feels really lonely really isolating and, and quite desperate at times, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, I speak to a number of parents, absolutely, that are struggling mm. um, in with that. And absolutely our own ho- home struggles as well. Um, the different challenges that that may bring. Um, yeah. Well, that's uh, really a, a, a very opportune time for me then to ask you, having covered all of that, you know, Kerry, so... What is your therapy? What does that look like for you? I mean, you, 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 you mentioned earlier on that you, you know, you've spent quite some years accessing talk therapy, which has been useful. But what does therapy look like for you now? Mm, my therapy. <laughs> yeah, um, I think it's a range of different things because there's there's lots of different parts of myself. Um, there's, you know, got a very creative part to me and actually you know part of my therapy towards myself is sitting and making things so I made I've had this project set for I don't know how many years maybe three or four years I was gonna make bunting for my scout group so I brought the material and it sat there on the side so part of my self-care and my therapy actually today was sitting with my sewing machine and making the bunting oh I love that (laughs) bunting making bunting making yeah and I got a couple of yoga and bolster cushions as well I'm making one for my sister one for my brother-in-law because they've recently started their yoga journey so I think being creative that's part of my therapy for for me as well um trying different things and say exercise is a regular feature for me as well and whether that's the high intensity uh, training sessions that I do or uh, I do a shredded weekly class with one of my friends like a boxer size cardio session it's just you know half hour 40 minutes at the end of the day of really punching out the day so it's fantastic to be able to change the energy in my body um so that I enjoy and yoga as well um and I try and balance because I really love the hit sessions and the buzz it gives me right but I'm aware I love the sessions and the buzz it so gives me so you're an endorphin junkie Kerry oh yeah absolutely <laughs> I love it so I really you know I try and do it a blended approach so with the yoga uh the qigong as well so I access lots of stuff free on YouTube 
Um, but it's yeah, and sometimes don't don't I pick up a book, you know, that's the other therapy for me. Go and escape out into someone else's world for a while. And I love anything about witches or vampires or you know, werewolves, anything that's real break from reality. Right. I think that's the thing. Yeah. That's something I've recognized in myself over the years that I really need to do something very different to the because the, the daytime stories that I hear in my job are often harrowing challenging traumatic um so to be able to you know go off and yeah read something or you know vampires witches or other people might think oh that's all really scary why would you do that and it's like because it's so (laughs) far from reality and I love it that's my genre so um so that's part of the therapy um and so for the last couple of years as well it's you know the breathing project kind of turning up weekly uh to breathing class um, that's again it's a really different type of therapy so as I say you know I've accessed lots of different talking therapies over the years um have been you know fantastic um and I joined um at the start of the first lockdown as I say with the breathing project and it was a very different experience um actually it was really going into my body in a way that I've not done before um and actually I was just, I couldn't believe what came out. Certainly in those very early sessions, I was either laughing my head off um, Mm. and, you know, tears rolling down my face with the laughter and the joy. Or the other side of that, I was howling with tears, like sadness, pain, suffering. I was really letting a lot of stuff go. So um, I I find that whole, you know, the the body remembers kind of... um, yeah. I wasn't aware of all the bits and all the bits that have got stuck along the way. So actually being able to do that and to, to find that has been really empowering, actually. It's really helped me shift um, leaps and bounds over the past couple of years. Um, and I, those those other kinds of things as well, like, you know, it's having a, a, a massage occasionally, someone getting in and either sorting out the knots or just doing something, you know, very aromatherapy based and just you know relaxing me deeply so there's those kinds of things that I would do um and I guess today as well going on for a lovely walk in the sunshine mm. actually the birds were all singing the sun was out on my face there was a great big I mean <laughs> I thought oh, I don't need to wear my boots it's fine I'll wear my running shoes because I you know I might run walk I'll see how I feel but I went on the muddiest walk. Literally, the water was going over the top of my shoes into my socks. Oh, did you do a Dawn French? Yeah, it wasn't quite like that, but I thought any minute now I'm going to go over. But that, so I went on this long route and there was no one else around and I got to the middle of a great big field and I just started screaming really loudly, like all the whoops, ha, woo I was screaming the joy as opposed to screaming in delirium, (laughs) which has been known from my my perspective anyway. Yeah, absolutely. It was just really freeing, just in a space on my own and just letting go. And I think in the work that I do, there is a lot of holding other people in in the sessions. It's a lot about holding space for them, experiencing, you know, I, I try as much as I can to experience you know I say I'll try and walk in your shoes I'm a a counsellor I I, I do ask a lot of questions though some people don't ask many questions but I'm like 
I really ask a lot of questions. I really want to understand you, your world, what you're experiencing. So in doing all of that, I do take a lot on from the people I work with. You know, that's an opportunity. It's, you know, uh, there's learning that comes from that. Uh, I get to experience the client on a, on a deeper level. Um, so part of my process and my therapy is about letting that go, processing that. Um, yeah, but there's a lot of playfulness in my therapies, it seems. Well, that's yeah. that is what a wonderful way to to end this episode, Kerry. Thank you so much <laughs> for sharing all of that with us today. I'm really grateful, and um, I think you've you you know you've shed light on your service and all that it has to offer and and the benefits of it as well. And like I said, there'll be um, details of how people can um, reach out to you and and to the service in the show notes. So. Kerry Pillbeam, you fabulous human being. I love you very much. Oh. And, uh, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Nat. I mean, it was really, when you'd said about coming and doing it, I thought, oh, I wonder, what, wonder what's going to come. I wonder what the questions will be. And coming at it with curiosity. But thank you. That's been a really, really lovely bit of time. Oh, thank you, thank you darling. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope it gave you the opportunity to learn a little bit more about therapy and what might work for you. If something in today's episode resonated, then please check out the show notes for more details. I'd love to hear your feedback on today's episode. And you can find me over on Instagram and Facebook at what's underscore your therapy. I'd love it if you could take the time to leave a review. And don't forget to press follow if you want my show to automatically download every week. I can't wait to speak to you on the next episode. In the meantime, please know you're doing your best.